This is the Mentor Shift Podcast, coming out every second Thursday with Mickey Fahair. Hey man, I'm so excited to have you here. This is Mentorship Thursday again, and this is your host, Mickey Fair. I want to thank you profusely for listening to this week's podcast. If you're here, you're probably like me. Sometimes you feel like as a man, you have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders alone. I started this work because I believe we can help each other to learn and grow together and share some of this weight. If you like the sound of this, please subscribe to the Mentorship Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred choice of listening for podcasts. I hope to be with you on the way to work or in your living room or when you're running or walking, whenever you fancy listening to podcasts. Let's share the weight and learn together. And today, my special guest is Paul Epstein, who is an expert at achieving world-class performance, which is something that all men care a lot about. A revenue and culture champion with nearly 15 years of experience as a professional sports executive for multiple NFL and NBA teams, a global sports agency, and the NFL League office. Please join me in welcoming Paul. Uh, welcome to our listeners. It's really good to have everybody. And I want to hand over to Paul for a second here to introduce himself. Oh, thank you so much, Mickey. And it's a pleasure to at least virtually meet everybody. We're going to have some fun today. Happy to be a complete open book about a 15-year journey in the NFL, the NBA, uh, share some of those stories and a lot of what was behind the curtains, if you will, um, and, and also the transformational day and experience that I had that eventually led to my leap of faith away from the day-to-day aspect of sports, but now being a coach and a consultant both within sports, then stretching beyond the sports industry. And it's all from that transformational experience that I essentially unlocked my highest levels of authenticity and my purpose and went on to found a company, Purpose Labs. And so it's just a pleasure to be with you all virtually and pleasure to be on, Mickey, and uh, we'll have some fun for sure. All right, sounds good. You know, where do we start? Like, I wanted to ask you just a question about the past, kind of projecting back to the times when you were in, in the NBA league as, as an executive. What was it like to be there as a man? What, what is the idea of successful man in that world? Sure. So it's an interesting question because... So I spent nearly 15 years in the greater Mm. sports industry. And when the majority of the world thinks of sports, they're not thinking of Paul Epstein. They're thinking of the both men and women that are on the field per se, or on the court or on the ice. Um, And so depending on the sport that you work in as a business executive, as an example, and you said it very well, I worked in the NBA, as we all know, there's also a WNBA. And so I got to experience when, Uh, when joining forces with the league office, you then see, well, what is it like to work in the NBA versus the WNBA? Exactly the same, slightly different, completely different. And to understand those dynamics of not only what happens within the arena or the stadium, but then what happens from a consumer perspective, from a fan perspective, from a season ticket holder perspective, from a corporate sponsor perspective. And as a, as a man that worked in, the NBA and then the NFL, 
you know, I'll tell you, there is a brand that comes with it. Uh, there's a brand of sports and the industry overall that if you were to kind of do the blindfold test and say, what are the first words that you identify with professional sports? If not the first answer, one of the first few would be high performance. And exactly. that's what the industry is all about. And it's in many cases, a mentality of win at all costs, because unlike my views on life, where I understand that it is more of a marathon, as Simon Sinek would call it, it's more of the infinite game. The way that sports work on the field, at least, is it is a finite game. At the end of each game, there is a winner and there is a loser. And that gives you a brand. That labels you as a success or a failure. That means you are going to be a legend, an all-star, an MVP, a Hall of Famer versus somebody that is forgotten after they hang up their cleats. On the business side, we embodied a lot of those same characteristics. The challenge is, in many ways, it was unconscious. You're just in the same environment and you're grinding and I'm talking 10, 12, 14 hours, whatever it is, it essentially becomes your second home. And even or perhaps though I wasn't, your first home, right? Uh, perhaps, <laughs> by hours, there's no doubt. Yeah, yeah I always yeah. say to folks, whether you like it or not, you're going to work over 100,000 hours of your life. So exactly. why would you go through that journey without purpose? And that's really something that gets me out of bed to inspire others to come across to that, that thought process. But getting back to what you said about being a man in that space, um, highly competitive, a lot of alphas. Um, you know, it, it is a perform and win at all costs in many cases. But on the business side, what I noticed, and we've all heard of the term culture, every team has a culture. Every organization has a culture. I even take it down to the individual level. I think each one of us has our own culture. Mm. And what I mean by that is, if we all have our own culture, it's up to you to adopt the greater culture or to kind of insulate yourself and your team to compete from within versus compete versus the marketplace. So are you intrinsically driven or are you externally driven? And I think those are factors that I try to, in a positive way, detach from the win at all cost mentality of the playing field. It makes sense in many cases there, but in business, because it's more of an infinite game, I chose to say the score will take care of itself. And what that means is bring the best people from a fit, from a values perspective, bring the best people into your locker room, train them up, grow them and develop them, not only as professionals, but as holistic people. And if you can then inspire them, give them something to be passionate about, give them a greater purpose where they feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. If they can do all of those things, they're going to be intrinsically motivated. And the dovetail here is if you do that, I'm a believer that the score will take care of itself. And so right. what's it like, whether as you could say as a man, as a woman, at any gender, what rules are you playing by is where to start. Are you a win at all costs mentality or are you a score will take care of itself? And I think that short game versus long game perspective is going to mold a lot of how you act, behave and make decisions. Right. And there is also, you know, yeah, it's short game, long term and finite and infinite game. Mm -hmm. and, and this idea that there is there is potentially 
you know, a way to win, even if you lose, um, you know, the game, you, you, you gain something, you learn something, you, you get to the next level. Right. So, so if we kind of uh, go back to the past one, one more time and, you know, you're just about to get your first job in the, in the sports world, what, what attracted you to be not a player, but, you know, uh, a business executive working in that area? Yeah, this is a fun one, Mickey, and I'll, I'll give you a quick tangent story and then I'll get back to that piece. And so I, uh, you know, a lot of folks, we grow up, whether it's playing sports or watching sports on TV, there's millions and millions of sports fans throughout the world. And to me, sports are a great unifier. Uh, you know, it's a game yeah. to many. It's an escape for many. You know, the world is so serious that sometimes it's nice to have a little fun, whether you're participating or watching it. And so I, no different than other people, grew up a fan of sport, but I never knew that you could work in sports. And so what happens is I go all the way through my undergraduate, I have a business degree from USC, sales and marketing. I knew that sales and business seemed to be a path I was going down. So those are the types of jobs I had during college and then for about a year out of college. And one of my first jobs, I was out in the field as a territory sales manager. So I'm literally, you know, driving the van around, got a bunch of product in the back and just going to all these retail wholesale accounts. And of course, what I do to pass the time while driving from account to account was I had ESPN radio on. So some listeners may know uh, the name Mel Kuyper. Mel Kuyper is known to be uh, arguably the top NFL draft guru, if you will. And so Mel in his usual high energy style comes on ESPN radio as I'm driving and immediately he caught my attention. He goes, have you ever dreamed of working for your favorite NFL, NBA, MLB? And I just caught myself hmm. driving faster and faster saying, yes, yes, yes. You know, I'm going crazy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like what the heck is he leading to here? And the way that he closed out was he said, if that's what you want to do, call one eight seven seven smww now Well, SMWW stands for Sports Management Worldwide. I gave them a call. Turns out there was an eight-week program. And if you are one of the top certified students that they have, they will feel comfortable enough to introduce you to their network of business professionals in sports. Thankfully, I did well in the class. That led to them calling the LA Clippers. Uh, and literally, and I say this with full humility, Mickey, but I was doing pretty well. I was working for a Fortune 10 company, 21, 22 years old, whatever it was, almost making six figures. And when presented with the opportunity to work for the Clippers, it was $7 an hour, minimal commission, no benefits, part-time. You start as a four-hour shift worker. And then if you're good, you get promoted to the eight-hour part-time shift. And the rest of the story is history. And naturally, everything worked out tremendously well. But for me, I was... Why did so... you give up the six-figure salary? Like, what, what do you think it was? Because there's a couple boxes that I needed to check. And mm -hmm. they were both boxes of passion. And one of my passions was the business angle and specifically sales at that time. The other box that my former job could never, ever check is sports. And so when I realized that it was a potential to mm -hmm. make both of my passions simultaneously a reality, the numbers didn't even matter. It became not optional. And rather than focus on, am I running away from anything? I just focused on what I was running toward. And sure enough, that led to a pretty quick promotion up to a senior sales rank. And then within a few years from that, I was 
promoted to leading the team that I once started as a part-time, essentially telemarketer. I was selling tickets for the Clippers, which at the time were, this is back in 2005, they were voted the worst brand in sports. And also at the time, the Lakers were winning championships. And so, you know, it's, um, it was quite a difficult sell. I was the only person that started within my class that even made it to the third month on the job, just to show you how competitive and how, you know, uh, some would say cutthroat it was, but ultimately like, it was really like a boiler room. If anybody's seen the movie boiler room or Wolf of wall street, everything was legal here. You were selling tickets, you were selling sports, but that was the environment that I came up in. And eventually that's what led me to leadership. And I've never looked back. I love it. I think, you know, just for our listeners, just from my practice as, as helping people find meaning, very often I'm helping people, you know, with career advice. And I, I think this advice that you just gave here, which is follow your passion, is incredibly simple. It, it's actually, it's easy to say it, but to do it is very hard. But I think one of the mistakes that we make is that we are going for the money and then we are hoping to find a passion one day, you know, perhaps when I retire, perhaps in the next job. And it never happens as opposed to let's go for the passion and let's see what happens. And as, as you say, you know, it, it works out at the end. Love it. So the, the other question I had for you is, you know, you're a young man. You're obviously ambitious at that time. You know, you're making some good money. You're willing to give it up. You're, you're willing to go for the passion and, and sports and everything. What about your identity as a man? How did, you, how did that evolve throughout that, this, this period when you were a sports executive? Did you ever think about, you know, what kind of a man do I need to be in order to succeed here? Or was it all subconscious? Sure. And that's a great question. I'll answer in a few different ways. And my thoughts are in a, a couple of different lights. One is, as a man in overall society, the other layer that I bring it to is, as mm-hmm. a man in the sports industry, the third layer that I'll bring it to is sales, which, and I'm not judging any other industry, I'll just speak specific to sports. It is a very male-dominated sector of that industry. And so what does it mean to, and I'm just putting in some terms here, you know, to have the bravado, to have kind of that boldness, that fearlessness, that courage, like things that you just associate sometimes with masculinity. And I would say exponentially, those things grow the more that you are surrounded uh, by a male dominated, whether it's industry, job, role, vertical of the company, whatever it is, if it is male dominated, which many things out there are, um, I think that that's where a lot of that unconscious, uh, what I would call unconscious acclimation uh, just takes form, you know? So I didn't intentionally become more masculine. It happened because I became a product of my environment. And you start to think about, to get very specific versus just be conceptually, you know, as an example, in sales, it is a rejection-filled job. Your job is to pick up the phone a hundred or more times in a day. And if you get one yes, you're a rock star. You literally sign up for a job that is 99% rejection guaranteed. Like who would do that? I'm one of the crazy ones, but ultimately (laughs) I bring that up because everybody in life is going to get rejected, whether socially, whether in a relationship, whether by a customer, uh, whoever it is, whether a potential job, 
It's how you respond to that. And I definitely at the time felt the pressure of needing to protect my brand, protect my image, whether it's as a man or just my soul character of who I am and my most authentic self, because I didn't want to show weakness. I didn't want to show that rejection could break down any armor that I potentially had. And so I think over time, unconsciously, we all times will put a mask on. It's not a negative mask. It's a mask that essentially says, this is who I'm supposed to be, at least how I perceive I'm supposed to be based on the social and professional cues Mm. that I picked up along the way. And so I put on a mask. I put on a mask because I'm not supposed to show weakness. I'm not supposed to be vulnerable. I'm not supposed to um, talk about my losses. I only want to talk about my wins. Those were all pieces of either A, external advice that I received, or B, internal uh, perspective that I had as I was coming up through the earlier stages of my career. And it's really interesting to reflect back. And uh, now I kind of put it in the emotional intelligence bucket. To Mm -hmm. me, EQ is about three levels of awareness, awareness of self, awareness of others, and awareness of situation. And what I have found is that I had those things at a high level, at my earliest stages of my career, before I knew, and I'll put air quotes up here for the listening audience, before I knew there was a game to be played. You always hear about, especially in business, oh, just play the game, play the game. You got to play the game. And I played the game. But before I knew there was a game to be played, my authenticity was high. My mask was non-existent. Then I started to play the game. The mask comes on. You kind of mold your identity to conform to whatever is around you, whatever is going to get you the next promotion, the next pay bump, the next elevated set of responsibilities. And I, years after what I'm describing, I had to fall. I fell. I experienced a significant, what I would call rock bottom of my professional career, not by title. You won't see this on LinkedIn, but I received some private news that essentially I got away from who I was at my best And I deserve this constructive feedback. And that's the day I bottomed out. And so, you know, to close my thought on this, Mickey, I I look at my leadership career in four quarters. The first quarter and fourth quarter, I loved who Paul was. That second and third quarter is what I described where I kind of sold out. You know, I, 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 I did what I had to do to climb the corporate ladder. Never anything that hurt any other person. Never anything with negative intention. But I got away from putting people first. I got away from... Uh, inspiring others and caring about others in a holistic fashion. I became overly obsessed with goals and metrics and mm-hmm. quantitative things that get you rewarded in, in, in a lot of business jobs. And when I received this really sharp feedback about, hey, Paul, uh, it kind of that famous Roosevelt quote that people don't uh, care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when I realized that I wasn't caring for people the way that I did in that first quarter, I share with others now that I permanently have rededicated myself to the fourth quarter of my leadership journey, and I'll never leave it again. If it's not too intrusive, can I ask you whether that piece of feedback came from, you know, your professional circles at work, or was it was it somebody outside, like uh, from the private sphere of your life? Yeah, no, I'll be very specific. It was my boss who at the time was the president of the NFL team I was working for. And he saw that? 
Right. Yes, because I asked, I asked for, we were hitting all our numbers, everything looked good on paper, but I, in my end of year review, I asked for one piece of feedback on how I could get better. And that's when essentially it came out that, hey, buddy, like you're, you're doing everything on the business side, but on the people side, mm-hmm. there, there's a hole. And I, I've been hearing some things and, and that, that it felt like a dagger to the heart, you know, because I just, I, I love people. I want to put them first. And I, when I knew that I got away from that, um, that was a turning point that I'll never forget. So that's really interesting. Like, where where was he coming from? Because here is here is a guy who is the president. You know, he's running his you know his club in 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 a cutthroat environment. You know, it's it's as you said, it's win or lose. There's just one winner, and yet here he is. You know, giving you this kind of feedback, even though you're hitting the numbers and hitting the KPIs. So what? Where where was he coming from? Because he sounds like. A mentor, like a good mentor to you, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, I think where he was coming from is, and I, I had already known him for years and mm-hmm. even several positions before he became president. At one point, he was the head of sales for uh, the organization. And so I got right. think of me as a younger version. I, I'm just kind of following in, in a similar trajectory. And so, yes, of course, I consider him a mentor and, and a dear friend uh, back then and to this day. And where I think he was coming from is he just wanted the best for me. I asked for feedback that I knew, I knew internally, I didn't feel this is, this is something I rarely share uh, publicly Mickey, but I knew that something was off inside of me. I Mm. knew that even though we were doing all these amazing things on the books, and if you looked at my LinkedIn profile, nothing was broken. I knew that things were not perfect the way I felt about me internal to my psyche and because of that is why i asked him for that piece of constructive feedback and here's a a really interesting way of thinking about constructive feedback and i'll I'll give credit where it's due so uh in the the spirit of radical candor and kim scott is her name an amazing book called radical candor feel free to look it up Uh, basically you know where where the best feedback comes from it's when you care personally and challenge directly. And he cared about me as a person. And I essentially gave permission because I asked for the feedback because I wanted to get better. And I said, just shoot straight with me. Like, what do I need to work on? And thankfully he had the, you know what, to challenge me directly. And it's uh, advice and feedback that, that literally changed my life because I've now rededicated myself to becoming who Paul is on his best day um, and, and so I'm really proud of that. I love that. And I, I really want to kind of accentuate that for, again, for your listeners, you know, like, as you said, there is an industry culture, you know, sports culture, there is, you know, th- there's a city, there's a club, there is, there's a team and there is a person and, you know, there is a way to be different, even no, no matter what surrounds you. And, you know, that's, that's a lovely example of being different and being you know, just caring for people rather than just caring for numbers. And, and it's doable because, you know, one of the things that people ask me and I, I wanted to ask you today is I get it. I love what you're saying. You're saying, you know, passion and purpose and vulnerability. And that's great. But what happens if you are in an environment where this is not seen like this is seen as a weakness and you got to win and, and it's up or out? Isn't that the way that you first have to work yourself 
up to a certain level of strength, power, and position in the organization. And then maybe you have the power to change certain things. But you will never get there if you are not playing the game. That's kind of what they're asking me. And I'm asking, do you think that's true? I used to think that's true. And now <laughs> through my own firsthand experience, it's absolutely not true. Because now I'm going to give a disclaimer here. That may be how it is, and I'll speak to a general listener. Just pick a, a, you know, pick Johnny or Bobby or whoever is out there. Perhaps you are not at an organization that will embrace the score will take care of itself mentality. Perhaps you are in an organization that is win at all costs, even if it's at the expense of people, potentially at the expense of you. I want you to think about that. Right. Why would we pour in our heart and blood and sweat and tears and our soul into a greater team, organization, or culture that won't take care of us in the toughest of times? And that's an organizational decision, and that is a leader-by-leader leader decision. And that's why I'm so infatuated with leadership. So I would respond to the, the listeners that are coming with that feedback because I, too, I'm cut from the same cloth where that is how I was groomed and molded and bred. But I have realized that if you were to ask me, here's a good example. I always say all culture is local. I can't answer how, what a culture of a company is. I need to ask some follow-up questions. What department, what location, who's the leader and what floor of the building? That's the culture. We've all been in those buildings where on floor five, everybody is high-fiving and then on floor six, Watch out, boss is coming around the corner. Same <laughs> company, different culture, floor to floor. So for the individuals that say, well, but sometimes you got to play the game, I would, I would say I'm going to challenge everybody with that to say that you have to first understand who you are at your core. What is your purpose? What are your values? What is your true identity? The beauty of your values is they are the lens for your actions your behaviors, and your decisions. One of those decisions is where you work. You will spend more hours working, assuming you have a traditional job. Uh, even as an entrepreneur, it can be anything. You're going to work by quantity of hours more than you do almost anything else in life, whether it's family time, sleep, any entertainment, anything else. So where you work, why you work where you work, the belief that you are creating a contribution and impact that is unique to your identity. That is the most important part of this entire equation. And so I would sacrifice all the things that used to matter to me, Mickey. I'll, I'll be very specific. I used to only care about only title, money, responsibilities. That's it. When I found my why, I started to look at that in a more expanded fashion. And now I care as much about the culture. I care as much about the leader. I care as much about the mission, the vision, the values of the company. I care more about all of those things. And if I am playing with passion and purpose, the money, title, responsibilities, and success will take care of themselves. It sounds like an altruistic statement. I did not feel this way 10 or 15 years ago. I'm not you know, come in with a woo-woo message. I am coming with a message based on reality. When I chase success, I found myself at the top of a mountain looking around saying, 
is this it? Like all that for this feeling? Because the sports analogy here is when you score a goal, there's always another goal to score. Meaning you get one pay raise, you adjust your lifestyle. Now you want more money. You go from director to vice president. Congrats. There's a honeymoon period, six to 12 months later. Now you want to be senior vice president. When does it stop? You're president, you're CEO of this team. What's after that? So my position on this is success is fleeting. The goalposts keep moving further and further away. You've never technically made it. The mansion with 10 bedrooms is going to leave a desire for a mansion with 20 bedrooms. The boat, the sailboat is going to turn into a desire for a yacht. And so I know we've gone in a lot of different directions, but I think everybody has to be honest with themselves about not only what they want, but why they want it. It's not about the money. Like here's a good example. I do an exercise where I have folks in a workshop. I ask them, what's a word that inspires you? And you'll typically get a lot of answers where a central theme is people. And there's one gentleman, uh, senior executive for a major airline. He wrote the word cash <laughs> on his, on his, as his inspirational word. And I, in a break, I respectfully, of course, I walked up to him and I said, Hey, so what's up? What, what's going on with cash? And he told me in a very short story that when he was young, his family who had just moved to the United States, they didn't have any. And he said, I just want my three daughters to have a better life than I've had. So the cash was never about the green money. It was about his three daughters and what options and lifestyle they could have. And so, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a good perspective. And that's something for everybody listening to this. Think of the word that inspires you and try to integrate that into how you make decisions in your life. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely with you. Um purpose is always something that takes you beyond your ego and you know like when you say cash this is a very non-inspirational statement especially if you say that in front of your team um i've heard executives you know speak like i'm here for the money and you know that's not gonna inspire people to get out of bed and you know as you say to to offer their best and go the extra mile but when you are willing to share a little bit and that's that's an interesting point like how do you become more human? Should, your, should the people who work for you know that, you know, your parents came to the United States from Eastern Europe, maybe, and, um, you know, maybe they were, you know, penniless Jews or whatever else, and, you know, you didn't have any and, and, and you experienced a lot of hardship? Does that belong to work? Is that pertinent to, to the job? No, it's not. Or perhaps it is. Perhaps... If you share, perhaps now I feel, now I understand you, now I get you, now I understand why do you do what you do. So I, I can begin to feel empathy for you and I'm going to go and follow you. Uh, but it takes a little digging, like it took you going up to him and asking. And perhaps, you know, from, from there, he learned that he can share more. Yeah. And, and my quick thought on this, you're, gosh, you're so spot on about this you're never going to achieve the maximum potential of your leadership connection with your team or just connection with people overall, take formal leadership out of it. It is impossible to connect at the deepest of levels without vulnerability. It is impossible. By vulnerability, you need to talk about your losses. You should talk about where you come from. You should expose 
where you've been on your worst day, but more importantly, how you grew and developed and transformed yourself because of that moment or day or experience. Your team, your family, your friends, they have to know about these things because there isn't a work you and a personal you. There's only one you. And the more that you say, well, that's not work appropriate, you're creating two brands, you're creating two people, you're creating two personas, and that's just not going to fly if you want to deeply and authentically connect with people. There is only one you, and the more you separate work from personal, you're going to lose that relationship game. Not to mention the fact I agree that you know, having a mask and putting it on takes enormous effort. So, you know, part of the problem is, yeah. you know, you keep putting on the mask, you keep looking like someone else or trying to be someone else that you think you have to be in order to win the next position, but that's going to take all your energy. And one day you burn out or you get sick or, you know, God, God forbid you have an accident and then people start slowing down and asking the question, okay, what am I doing? Who am I? Right. And, you know, you, you could start earlier. One other th- question that I had for you was, I am um, an immigrant in the United States. I, co- I do come from Central Europe. I do come from a, a culture where, you know, men have to be very tough. That's, you know, like be tough, be a provider, know, always know what to do, make the decisions fast. And so what I'm seeing around the world is men associate success and performance, high performance, with being ruthless and being tough and, you know, not paying attention to emotions and, you know, being the opposite of vulnerable, being um, omnipotent. So can you share maybe an example, a story from perhaps the world of sports, you know, one of your stories there, where you found that actually high performance and this idea of vulnerability and purpose comes together, that actually that achievement would not have been possible without a sense of purpose and perhaps emotional Mm. intelligence and expression of emotions? Yeah, no, great question. Um, So I would connect high performance to accountability and motivation. And, And let me unpack that for a minute. So there's two types of motivation. There's Intrinsic motivation, meaning motivation from within, and extrinsic motivation. In business terms and in life terms, we think of these oftentimes as carrots and sticks, meaning a carrot is if you do this, you get a bonus. A stick is if you don't do this, I write you up or I fire you as two extreme examples. So in life and in business, the more we rely on carrots and sticks, those are extrinsic motivators. Those don't come from within. You're telling me I can get more cash. You're telling me that if I don't do this, I get fired. That's not deep to my core identity or purpose. That's just something that I either want or I want to prevent. Versus intrinsic motivation is where you say, this is, I believe in the work. I believe in why I do what I do. Therefore, it makes me want to do what I do even more so. I want to do a better job. I'm going to come in earlier and stay later because I want to, because I choose to. I'm authentically dedicated. I'm fully responsible. And I am leaning into the work. What if, what if you could create a different environment 
where people held themselves accountable. Ah, what do you, mm. how do you think is better for your household and or your office? I need to hold you accountable or everybody here shows up wanting to be accountable. So now if there's a problem, if carrots and sticks are your answer, then remove carrots and sticks. Nobody fixes the problem because they don't give, they don't give a crap about the work. You're not going to give me a bonus for fixing the problem. Then I won't fix it. So that's how, and all of those things boil up to high performance. When you have a team of self-accountable people and of intrinsically motivated people, there is no other outcome other than better production and higher performance. That makes perfect sense. By the way, I, I was reading, uh, it was a while ago, but I was reading this article in the New York Times about Cameron Mabin who is, um, yeah. you know, from, from Yankees. And he, the guy is a hugger. Like he hugs everybody after, you know, a score and, and, and the team hugs. And like he brought in a lot of emotions that, that, you know, are considered usually, you know, strange in the world of sports. And I think he, you know, he, he was very successful. And, and Mickey, a quick thought. And since we're on the topic of sports throughout this conversation, I'll illustrate this in a sports way. So, you, you can win a game, you can win a season, you can win a championship, or you can form a legacy, a dynasty, if you will, of championships. So from as micro of I win the game today to perhaps we're a first place team during the regular season to perhaps we win in the playoffs, which means we're the champions for that year to the last example out of a decade stretch, we won four championships, which is great. That's a dynasty in professional sports. Short-term decision-making, a win-at-all-costs mindset may win you a game. You may get lucky enough, lucky, to squeeze every ounce of a person's performance enough to win a championship for a single year. It is impossible to build a dynasty if you flex, I'll use that word intentionally, if you flex your muscle to try to extract every piece of value out of the person or the player, that is not a long-term formula for success. And so that's my message. If, if this anecdotal feedback or these things we've been sharing on this episode are uh, maybe resonating to an extent, but not fully, just simplify it. Ask yourself, do you want to live life on your terms or the terms of everybody else? If you're committed to living a life on your terms, you got to take the mask off. And, you know, with, with the words of um, a word famous psychologist, Carl Jung, he said, you know, typically the first half of your life is about, you know, someone else's values, you know, maybe your parents, maybe other people, maybe the environment. But, you know, the second part of your life, you got a chance to live your life for your values, for what matters to you, for your purpose. So seize the day. All right, Paul, it's, it's been a real pleasure. And, you know, uh, I, I, I particularly appreciated that you shared a little bit about your own journey and how the transformation happened. I know that you're writing a book and it's, it's coming out. Um, when is the book coming out? This fall, so uh, in hand in October, and we'll go, uh, you know, so late 2020, and then we'll go with a full launch first quarter of 2021. Great. So we'll, we'll definitely keep everybody posted who is, who is listening to the Mentorship Podcast. Thanks for sharing the wisdom. 
keep up the good work and the world needs people like you. Absolutely. And you as well. And thank you for everybody listening. And um, yeah, just look out the power of playing offense. Can't wait to share it with the world. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Please check our webpage at www.mentorship.com www.mentorship.com Join our newsletter and learn about the Mentorship Coaching and other services and resources we offer. Keep listening to our podcast for more inspiration and motivation.